0: James Whitelock is the managing director at think in circles, a UK based marketing agency. He's also the host of the marketing rules podcast. I was introduced to James uh, just a little while ago. And last week we were able to sit down and have a wide ranging conversation about all things marketing. Today's episode is that conversation. It's it's not quite a, an interview. It really is more of a conversation, uh, where we kind of talk shop and, and talk about some of the similarities and differences between what he does and what I do. Um, I think it's a really important conversation. I think the listeners here of the Restaurant Strategy Podcast are going to get a lot out of it. Uh, a little word of warning, uh, my microphone crapped out in the middle of the interview. Uh, so while James sounds great, uh, I do not sound great. Uh, I actually had to use the internet audio from when I recorded the uh, the conversation on Zencaster. Uh, hopefully it's not too bad. Uh, I hope you muscle through because uh, the actual content of the, uh, of the conversation uh, is really, really worthwhile. Uh, before I let you go to the intro, music, I'm going to remind you one more time that the email strategy workshop, it's a live online workshop. It's coming up on Sunday, October 4th from 12 to 3 PM. That's Eastern time. Uh, we're going to talk all about how to set up build grow and utilize email marketing in your business uh the uh the spots are on sale now you can visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com or you can of course click the link in the show notes stick around for a great conversation with james whitelock there's an old saying goes something like this you'll only find three kinds of people in the world those who see those who will never see and those who can see when shown This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast dedicated entirely to the restaurant industry. So I'm trying something a bit different this week. Uh, I'm joined by James Whitelock, the uh, managing director at a UK-based marketing agency called Think in Circles. Uh, And in many ways, he does what I do, but on a larger scale for a completely different audience on a completely different continent. Uh, He also hosts a podcast of his own, the Marketing Rules podcast, which if you haven't listened to before, I hope this acts uh, as a nice introduction to what James does, what he's all about. So James, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, thanks, Chip. Thank you for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm glad we could coordinate this. So, normally when I have guests on the show, it's uh, it's an interview format, right? I'm I'm often chatting with restaurant owners or other marketers about a, a specific topic that relates back to uh, to marketing restaurants. But uh, but I think this is going to be a bit different. Um, James and I uh, chatted before we got uh, on this call, before we started recording, uh, and we decided to just kind of let this conversation flow and just to just to see where it leads, right? The the goal is to start the dialogue here on the Restaurant Strategy podcast. And then actually, we're going to come back for round two uh, over on James' podcast, uh, the Marketing Rules podcast. So um, James, to get started, can you tell the listeners just a bit about yourself?
1: Uh, Well, hello, everybody. Um, My name is James Whitelock, and I'm the Managing Director of Think in Circles. Um, So Think in Circles I set up about uh, eight years ago. um, And it's I set up because it's based on my background, really. So my background is in um, staffing and recruitment. Uh, And though I've never actually been a recruiter, I was always kind of in in the background doing, you know, uh, e-business or website development and a little bit of marketing. Uh, And just over time, I got to understand that industry pretty well. Um, And off the back of my last kind of proper job, I decided that I was going to kind of set up this, set up my marketing agency uh, with the aim to help staffing and recruitment businesses market better. It's one of the things they don't do very well. Um, and there's a kind of in, there's some intricacies around kind of staffing and recruitment businesses where they are one of the only interests that are B2B and B2C all at the same time. Um, and you'll know that there's a difference in how you talk to those audiences and how you market to those audiences. And I thought with my kind of understanding of, of, the, of that business, I thought it would be in a good position to help those businesses kind of get in front of the right people, right audiences, talk them the right way, get the right messages across. So that's kind of a bit about what I do now. I mean, my actual kind of actual proper background is I'm actually trained as a fine artist.
0: Are you really?
1: I, yeah, I have, a, I have a degree in fine art. So I studied um, painting and printmaking and sculpture um, and that was it was one of the only things I was ever good at at school. And so that was that's what I wanted to be was to eventually be a painter. Um, so I studied that I finished university and went out into the big wide world and um, rightly failed completely to be.
0: A- <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll pause here and tell you that I uh, had my undergraduate degree in uh, in theatre. And uh, that's how I wound up in New York City, because I came here to uh, pursue a career in theatre. And one thing led me to another thing to another thing to another thing, and I always joke around that I've I've had two parallel careers: one in the arts and the other in uh, in hospitality and yeah. restaurants. And vis a vis marketing, I realized that a lot of the you know the storytelling skills, the you know all of the things that I uh, that I learned in theater school um, translated really really well uh, into the business world, and and I carved out a niche for myself. Uh, with my own uh, marketing agency, which I started about five years ago, so that's funny. I didn't realize that.
1: Um, I mean, it, you sound like you had a little bit more success in the arts than I did. To be honest, um, <laughs> my, my, my time, my time as a painter wasn't, wasn't, didn't last very long. And in fact, I, I, I kind of within a year or so, I was teaching myself how to use Photoshop and, and Illustrator, and that was a kind of start of my journey down kind of a marketing route. So I actually kind of taught myself how to be a designer initially and then moved into web development and then from web development into uh, web management, web management into a kind of marketing slash e-business and only kind of later on in my career that I actually kind of class myself as a, well to be honest in none of the jobs, one of my proper jobs, I was ever actually called a marketing manager Um, but it was kind of always what I did. And so that's kind of where I, I think that kind of gave me a good broad spread of, of skills as well, you know, to be kind of, because marketing isn't just about painting pretty pictures or, you know, it's not the, it's not the kind of coloring in department as some people might think there's a lot more. Right. It. You've got to have a business brain behind you because you've got to understand these businesses. In your case, it's the restaurant businesses and you need to kind of understand that and all the intricacies of those businesses to market it. The same with me. I need to understand all the intricacies of the recruitment world to be able to market it. Um, so it's not just about oh here's a, here's a here's a nice here's a nice some nice graphics for for Facebook, boom. Here's some here's some pretty pictures for Instagram, boom. It's not about that. Uh, I'm sure you're very much the same as me that you know the the planning and the strategy piece is. It is beyond as important as anything else you're ever going to do, you know, and that's the bit you have to kind of get right. And as a lot of businesses don't do that. They tend to fling stuff at a wall and see what sticks as opposed to actually planning it out because it means you need to get someone qualified involved basically to do that.
0: Yeah, well, you know, listen, I, I wholeheartedly believe in strategy. It's the the reason I named this podcast Restaurant Strategy. Uh, the name of my company, my my marketing agency, is Chip Close Creative because I think creativity uh, is at the heart of of marketing. It's literally Chip Close Creative marketing strategy. Uh, I think strategy is key to the whole thing. It's just having a plan in place. Mm. And the interesting thing about uh, marketing to me is, and when you say this, that you taught yourself, you know, Photoshop and Illustrator and InDesign and started just you know figuring it out. I think there's a lot about marketing that is very intuitive. Um, that if you're aware and just you know paying attention to things um, and, and eager and, and ambitious and all that, there, there's a fair amount that you can that you can pick up. L- largely, my education, or at least the beginning of my education in marketing, uh, was all was all self taught. It wasn't until I you know went and got my MBA and, and things like that that you know I started um, I started learning that oh some of the the ideas that I had some of the things that I had put together actually had terms and definitions and <laughs> somebody else had invented it 50 years ago and um, Uh, you know, things that I was just referring to one way, it's like, oh, no, there's a textbook term for that. And and somebody's established that. Um, It's so much of what uh, what I try to do on this podcast is try to, you know, simplify complicated ideas and just say, you already basically kind of have the, you know, have the gist of this, but let's just solidify it. Let's put a strategy in place, and then come up with some key tactics to execute on that strategy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. I mean, you can like any kind of industry, you can get bogged down in jargon, um, but, and I am also a fan of the, the, the fact that, you know, you don't necessarily have to come from a marketing background to be a marketeer. And the businesses I've worked in, the marketing people, especially when you get very senior, senior marketing people, so marketing directors within very big businesses, you become almost, you know, actually doing the marketing bit is so far from what your actual job is. Um, you you become basically a, a bean counter, an accountant when you kind of get to the very senior senior, <laughs> senior roles when you're when you're in marketing, um, and it's one of the reasons why I think I have never kind of gone down that route. I think I'm probably qualified to do some of that kind of stuff, but I quite like still getting my hands dirty, and I'm sure you're very much the, the same. I
0: I feel the exact same way, and and there's a passion that I have for helping people. I mean, you know, most of the people most of the listeners here are restaurant owners are chefs are managers are people who are in the trenches working 50 60 70 plus hour weeks and so uh marketer is just another hat that they're being forced to wear because mm. they understand the importance of social media they understand the importance of uh, of building a you know an email marketing strategy they understand you know that it's all about attraction and retention um, but it's just you know putting it in simple terms that they can fit it into the the twilight's of their days because uh, they got so many other you know issues, other things to focus on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that again, if I'm just kind of making parallels with with recruitment, that if these if your your audience wasn't as busy as they probably are, they would probably have a crack at this themselves, right? And actually. They're in a good, good position to do to do this as well because they they're always going to know their business better than even even we ever would.
0: One hundred percent.
1: But they are they're so busy that they've made that kind of conscious decision that they need kind of expertise. They need help, and I always think that's quite a grown up decision to make. And I always equate businesses that decide that they need marketing help as grown up, as opposed to the businesses that you know. I hate having those conversations with, 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 with businesses where it gets very much early on in the conversation. It's all about return on investment. Yep. I I don't like having those conversations and I I can understand why businesses want to have those conversations, but if they're going into marketing because they want, because, because they want to get a return on it instantaneously, or they're, they're, they're worrying about how much they're going to make back, then they're probably going into it for the wrong reasons you know, do some, you know, Google AdWords campaign campaigns. And it's kind of like, just, just rinse that for all it's worth. If you're going to employ a a business like yourself or even mine, then you've got to be taking it seriously. Uh, and you've kind of, you've got to let us do our, do our, do our job, but also be comfortable that we know your business as much as, as much as we can, and that we're acting on your behalf. But it's always a conscious decision, I think by the business to have made a grown up decision that, yeah. Right. We need someone like this involved.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I always spend, uh, you know, I always joke around, and and on this show, I've I've talked a lot about um, what a first meeting, you know, what a discovery call is like, what what that first meeting is like, and then what the first meeting is like after uh, after I'm brought on, after I'm hired, because the expectation of you know what the relationship is going to be and what it uh, what it actually is, um, I, I've just found that I've kind of I have to manage expectations, uh, uh, you know, in that way because because um, what they think they're getting it's it's that ROI conversation. It's oh mm. we want to run a, a ten dollar Facebook ad that'll yield thirty dollars in revenue and, and it's not always you know easy as that. you know maybe if we were running an e-commerce business and we were selling widgets, we could say, okay, we, we build this ad so that we spend ten dollars and sell thirty dollars worth of widgets and then we just step away and the whole thing just takes care of itself. We've got an evergreen cycle and that would be great, uh, except that uh, especially in restaurants and I'm sure it's the same thing in recruiting. Uh, it just, it never ends. It's breakfast, lunch, dinner, seven days a week, on and on and on. And uh, you can't just set it and forget it. It's a living, breathing thing.
1: Well, yeah. And you can tell the businesses that that go about it that way. They're the ones that, you know, that when you go to uh, their website or you go to their, you know, their social media pages, and it was very active for about six months and it has gone dead because, They've one. They may have had a go at it themselves and not seen any return because, again, they probably didn't have any strategy running in the background.
0: There is that strategy word again.
1: <laughs> and then, but you also might have a situation where they um, they've employed just a business. They've gone out and they right, everyone else in my market is doing uh, is on Instagram, so let's have a go at Instagram for you know. And nothing has really happened. It's just gone. They've, they've stuck up some lovely photos of the food that they, they're they preparing, some great images of people in the in the dining room having a great time enjoying their food. Um, basically, they're probably the same that every other restaurant on the block is doing. And it kind of then doesn't go anywhere. It falls a bit flat, again, because you haven't got that strategy behind it. So you can kind of tell quite quickly. And I'm sure you can. And I'm sure other people businesses that you can kind of work with we can just kind of look at this and it's like we can see exactly what's happened there uh, and then you've kind of given up and this is where this whole strategy point comes in it's like well you and and, and i'm gonna I mean, you know all this but you know you need to know who you who you're dealing with you know you need to know your audience you need to define that audience you need to know the way that they want to be spoken to how they want to be spoken to what the things they want to you know engage with um, you need to be able to kind of put your business out there show the the tone of your business, the vision and values of your business, what the kind the kind of business that you are and you want to be perceived as. You know, are you a top high-end five-star restaurant? Are you, you know, a little mama and papa's kind of pizzeria around the corner? Each will have a different way that they want to engage and how they want to be perceived. Um, but a lot of businesses assume this as opposed to actually kind of getting hard evidence and also then that assumption thing never goes forward into actually being noted down into a strategy and then and actioned upon basically
0: this is really great so I want to I want to piggyback on this and then use this to come back around and uh, better understand what you do uh, you know in the day to day with your business and and the relationships that you've been building and you continue to build with with your clients the, the people you work with so here's what happens so much in uh, in restaurants you know people have an idea for a restaurant they find a space, they open the restaurant, you know, and there's, you know, that, that movie field of dreams, right? If you build it, they will come, you know, that, that everyone's just, there's this feeling that everyone's been dying for my food or once they taste how good my food is, uh, they'll all come right. Once there are six different pizza places in my neighborhood, but you know, my, I think there's room for a pizza place because when they taste how good my pizza is, uh, I'm going to steal all that business from all the others, right? There's that feeling. You know rather than putting uh, a, a strategy together you know about differentiation and understanding your audience and you know you know what makes you different from the other six pizza places and and how do you speak you know like you said you know that that brand voice that tone, how do you communicate that in the way that you speak uh, that you speak to the audience you know in the the images that you use the the way that you um present yourself. So that that's the problem that a lot of uh restaurant owners have, right? They're, they're just a diner. They're just another pizza place. They're just another sub shop. They're they're another uh, albeit maybe great fine dining restaurant, right? Another great French restaurant. I mean, this this city in New York City, we certainly have no lack of um of great dining options so do we need another great restaurant mm-hmm. uh you know you could argue that no or pandemic aside you know you could yeah. you could argue that no we don't need another great restaurant and yet we've got you know 30 40 50 great restaurants opening up every single year so I, I tell you all of that to kind of put that back into what you do because i, I have a feeling it's the same with recruiting um, both with you know companies what uh you know, how do companies communicate their value or their, how do they make themselves attractive to, to potential employees? And then how do recruiters make themselves attractive? Like they're the matchmaker, they're the ones who can get it done. Again, like you said, B2B and B2C, both to the companies who are going to hire them and to the candidates that they're hopefully going to place. So, I, you know, I wonder where the similarities are and what, what we deal with in the restaurant industry to to what your specific experience is
1: yeah i think there's definitely parallels right so i always try and kind of describe it as being the signal in the noise um and how do you become that signal in the noise because uh in recruitment there's every agency every kind of niche agency is covered out there you know and you're doing the same as you know probably four others in the same town you know um and so it's the kind of question I get asked all the time is and, and it always and then it kind of comes to well why should I bother um and some of the times it's a really difficult question to answer you know I would imagine equating it to the to the restaurant bit is you know what does make one pizzeria different from another pizzeria well know, sometimes there just might not be a huge amount of difference between those two businesses
0: the thing that I always say these days is that like we don't need just another pizza place like yeah. like we're full we got it all that the, the the, the market is saturated. I mean, certainly here in New York City, we've got thousands and thousands of pizza places. We don't need another one unless you have something new to say about it.
1: No, I mean, I, I agree. And um, I think so. I always come back to there's a, there's a there's a an author called Jim Collins, who wrote a great book a couple of years ago called From Good to Great. Yeah. Um, and that's all based around what what makes to what took some of some businesses from being really good businesses to great businesses. Um, and one of those things, and the main thing actually is your people. Um, and so that can always, especially with a business, I would imagine like restaurants where it's, it's, you know, you're public facing. So that is the experience you get from the diner. And I'm sure you can kind of, you can tell me more about this, but the reason I go to certain restaurants is the experience. Sometimes it's not necessarily because the food is any better, yeah, you know, uh, or or, you know, but it's the experience you get. and, and some people don't realize that that's all part of your marketing and your branding at the same time and that is exactly the same within recruitment so you know you might have one business that is recruiting construction workers you know you've got construction work construction recruitment business a and construction recruitment business b you know and as a as a person as i as a laborer that for instance where do i go you know do i go to one or the other or do i go to both because that's the other thing in within recruitment is I can shop in all kinds of I can I can fish in several ponds at the same time unlike in, in it. So if I'm an if I'm a job seeker, right, I can be with every single recruitment agency there is and just wait for them to to to, to kind of call me back. But what makes you go back to one over any other ones, one you know, in, in the future? And usually, it's about that kind of experience you've had with with the people at that business because not that they're single they may even be advertising the same jobs from the same client because a client could have the same job on with several agencies you know so it's a really kind of fragmented and complicated industry but it is about the experience you get and the customer service you get um and it's actually and it's quite intricate because the experience you might get you may actually never meet your recruitment consultant for instance it may always be kind of over the phone so How do you make that an incredibly an incredibly engaging experience when, you know, for recruitment it's actually quite a dull process? It's kind of take job A, give to give to recruitment kind of business B and match up job seeker C basically. It's no more complicated than that. But there's an experience and customer service piece that goes around there. And that's what you can market. You know, that's the bit you can kind of latch on to to make sure that people go to that business and that recruiter over any other one, because you've got a better kind of customer service record. Yes, you might well have kind of more brand worthy kind of clients, or you might have bigger name clients, you might have slightly more senior roles that you are recruiting for. Um, But in the end it is how you kind of how that experience, how you, how you engage with that business. And that's not necessarily just left on left to, to kind of picking up the phone and talking to someone. That's the that's the omni-channel experience that it would be now. You know, you get the same feeling of engagement, of comfort, of trust across all of their touch points, um, and that's almost there. Is the is the start of a strategy? It's right, right? So, how do we where do we take your customer service, which is really good on the phone, and move that online, for instance? That's your marketing strategy for the next kind of yeah. three to six months, you know, and that's what we're gonna kind of we're gonna work on. We're gonna we're gonna take how good you are on the phone and how how good you are in person when we're gonna kind of get back to that, um, and move that onto an online experience. And how do we represent that? How do we make people feel? You know that they can they you know recruitment. You know you've got to give a lot of trust to people. You're giving them your you're, you're, you're in a very vulnerable position sometimes if you're going to a recruitment agency because you maybe you don't have, don't have a job at that point or you're unhappy in your, the job that you've got. Uh, and how do you take a human who, is quite, who could potentially be quite vulnerable and make them very kind of come for them and not treat them like a commodity, which is what some recruitment agencies can, can be accused of.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, I've, I've worked with some over the years. So, so then tell me, then how, how are you doing some of that?
1: Um, well, it kind of... It, uh, without going into kind of details, because the problem is, is every recruiter actually may be slightly different. Uh, and has a, you know, though you might be kind of dealing with in the same industry, let's say, let's take construction again, you know, the way you would communicate with someone who is, um, I don't know, hammering up, you know, drywall, as opposed to someone who is managing the site, as opposed to someone who is kind of the architects who are ordering the build know, there's different ways that they want to be communicated with. Um, And you usually find that the more senior you are, it's a much more personal touch, that would be your traditional way of doing it. Now, yeah, that doesn't really work these days, everything needs to be personalized, and everything needs to have that kind of human touch. So the good things around um, video content, for instance, you know, video is very big within the recruitment industry right now. And it allows you to one to put names to faces, you know, so you can kind of, as a business, you can do things like um, add a video to the 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 job that you're putting out onto your website. So you can have one of your guys talking through the job, and if they come across very charismatic, they're very personable. Again, already you're starting to build that trust. You you don't look like you're just trying to rip people off and using them as a commodity. So video is a really big way of going around about it. Um, yeah, for sure. You know, and then there's obviously you've kind of got your usual players like kind of the social media kind of channels that you can kind of then put that out onto. But I think there's always the there's there's always this um, personal touch you want to get into and make sure it's always as personal as, as possible. The problem w- when you get with 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 recruitment is a lot of automation that can go on in the background, and yeah. people don't know a lot about these kind of things. So there's a lot of there's a lot of technology in recruitment, um, and it can kind of be quite um faceless basically that's the problem and it's how you get across those those kind of personal touches because again it comes back to this trust point so making personal videos for people um you know keep so you can do things like um sending video emails to people instead of just sending a blanket just to kind of we we found this role you we think you'd be perfect for it kind of thing you can now include you know any video email there's all kinds of tools to do those kind of things you know if you can get the the videos up on your on your site with how you work and how you work as a business and why people should kind of give you their trust that works really well, you know, things like that I think are kind of a key these days.
0: Um, Well, I love this because so much what you're talking about is universal, mm -hmm. right? Like in restaurants, uh, we talk about, you know, there are two main thresholds that have to, that you've got to pass. The first one is awareness, Mm -hmm. right? You need, you know, why are people not coming to you? Well, the first one is that they just might not know you're there, right? So, in a world of almost eight billion people, I'd say that 99.99% of uh, the potential audience just isn't aware of you because they just don't live near you. They don't. They don't. You know, speak their language. They whatever it is. You know, and, and the same is true. Then if we you know drill down to your to your town, right? Like people have to be aware of the place. But then uh, that's where a lot of uh, restaurateurs uh, I know uh, kind of stop. And so you know, it's just about awareness, getting it out there, just blanketing you know, the world so that, and, and there's another chasm that has to be, you know, that has to be jumped, which is from, uh, you know, awareness to trust. Uh, and, you know, like you just said, like, you've got to build trust with the company, you've got to build trust with the candidates, uh, so that they, they feel comfortable because they are in a vulnerable place. And I would suggest that in restaurants, it's, it's often the same that, okay, if you're just eating, you know, you're just going to go get a burger and a beer, that's fine. That's not a big, um, that's not a big commitment. But if people are go out to a nice dinner once or twice or three times a year, maybe for birthdays and anniversaries, and it's a big uh, and it's a big bill, then they do think more carefully, you know. So then awareness isn't isn't merely uh, the thing that has to be um, overcome. It has to be trust. Like you got to trust that uh, that's going to be well worth the money. That that you're going to be in good hands. That's the thing that always drives me crazy. Uh, with restaurants. And it's why my wife and I end up going back to the same places over and over. Because like you said, you know, you know, the experience is great, you know, you're going to be taken care of, which at the end of the day is what people want. And I, I just, there there's so many parallels here to what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah,
1: I, I can I completely see that. Um, the, the other good point is, is where you add value as well. You know, where can you add extra value? You know, the within recruitment, you want to educate people, you want to become what we might call kind of thought leaders, um, market authorities. So you want to make also people understand that you know your market, you are an authority in there. You can talk about it with, you know, uh, at the top of your level. You can talk to everybody within within that within that industry. Again, let's take construction for instance. You know what every type of person does with on a, on a construction site from top to bottom. Um, and what you then try and do is you you come up with a plan to where you can add value to all those beyond. Just finding them the next role. So, for instance, a good example of this is exactly what we're doing now. One of the reasons why you're we are recording this podcast is because you want to add value to your to your client base, right? For sure. You know that's what this is about. Um, If it's you know if we get to and, and you know and the end goal, if we're being completely honest and selfish about it, is you want to you want to retain your kind of the customers you've currently got and bring on new ones because. They have, you know, your current customers have shared, shared your great podcast with, with someone else, or it's being shared somewhere else, and it's a way in, it's a touch point to get in. But in the end, this isn't your core kind of your core your your core services. You know, this one of the reasons why we do the podcast as well at our end because it's adding value, um, and that's another one of the things that I think is attractive and makes you uh, a sticky and trustworthy business is because you add all this value. So it doesn't necessarily have to be podcasts as I said, it could be kind of um, webinars, you know, in, in recruitment, there's all kinds of webinars for businesses on like, how to use LinkedIn, you know, how to write a great CV, They're the you know, the industry is littered with them. But it's all businesses trying to um, add value beyond what they actually do. Because you're thinking, well, this business, business A over here is offering all this great content, they, are, they offer, you know, access to salary surveys, they offer access to free webinars that we can kind of get involved with, You know, they might uh, run kind of CV writing courses or something like that. You know, I mean, they might have some presentations online that will kind of take you through this kind of thing. It's all that kind of added value um, and uh, kind of educational pieces, especially right now. That's really important. Yeah. One thing that businesses will find it difficult to do is be real, really sales focused because it's a difficult time. You know, people don't want to come across as kind of giving you the hard sell. So if you can come across as adding value and educating, then I think that is, you know, you're onto a winner, basically. Um, and I know, yes, it's outside of your co- your core services, but this is this is modern marketing, basically.
0: Yeah, I, I worked for a, a very prominent restaurant here in New York City. It uh, just closed actually due to the the COVID uh, shutdown. And one of the, the key pieces, one of the key things that um, that I did for them was basically dust off their blog, which had been wildly underutilized and was kind of stale. Um, just kind of sitting there fallow on the website and we turned it into something we called the journal and we used it to kind of talk about the things that were already important to the business, right? Um, You know, a a drive for sustainability and using seasonal local ingredients and working hand in hand with farmers and, you know, uh, you know, how we put the menus together and how we, you know, how we did programming throughout the year. And we basically just, you know, pulled back the curtain and said, this is where we're going to share all of that, the things that we already believe, the things that we already uh, talk about and and put into practice, we're just gonna talk about them because it's like anything else, right? Perception is reality. And it's one thing to do a nice thing, uh, but you gotta make sure that people know you're doing a nice thing. You know, Mm. We could source beef from here, but we don't. We choose to source beef from here. And yeah, that means it's $10 more than you might find across the street, uh, but here's why we believe in it and here's why we think you should be excited about it. Uh, We found that we got a really great reaction to that, and it's something then that I've taken to other restaurants, and uh, and I'm constantly um, met with uh, kind of resistance there because it does take resources, it takes time to to build something like that out. And I say, you know, it doesn't have to be um, a blog, but you know, a blog, like you said, you know, a a series of webinars or um, just some sort of content, YouTube podcast some sort of uh, way that you can reach out and uh, and provide value for your customers beyond what you give them when they're uh, when they're sitting at your dinner table
1: yeah I mean I agree and you know what it doesn't have to kind of take up all the resources in the world or cost it, cost the earth so I'm a great fan of being economical with your content and reusing and refurbishing it where possible so for' example what we do with with our podcast, so we used to write blogs and we used to have them on the website. Uh, we used to write articles that would sit on LinkedIn. Link, I, I mentioned LinkedIn a lot because it's one of the kind of main channels that for business to business kind of um, marketing, and we use that a lot.
0: I'm sure for what you guys do, absolutely
1: exactly. So I live on it basically. But <laughs> so we have we have uh, we have a blog on a website. I have my own blog on on LinkedIn, but you know what? It, they never really hit particularly well. So we started doing the podcast. And the beauty of the podcast, and I'm sure you you, you probably kind of notice, is that it's consumable across different media for a start, uh, and with no other um, kind of format, do you get access to Spotify or Apple? So perfect, right? One of the reasons to do it. That's always the yeah. main point. Whenever I talk to people about podcasts, like try and get any other content onto Spotify, you know, or Apple or Apple kind of uh, platforms of some kind, you just it's just impossible run a podcast boom you're there it's there for free so what we then do so you've one you've got access to a kind sort of broader scope of platforms that you can kind of you can then. Uh, now we we record and video the podcast as well so that gives us that next level of content you're doing it all at the same time so we're recording audio and, and, and the video so what we do we can chop up the audio and release that in bite sizes as well as the actual main podcast it gets chopped up into little kind of bite-sized chunks We then do exactly the same with the video uh that gets kind of released onto what it will do we've only just started but we'll get the full one onto onto youtube and the the kind of short version onto the social media channel to say to watch the full video go to youtube but you record it once you know what i mean there's a little bit obviously kind of work in the background chopping and editing and things like that but you know what i mean you've just got the one piece of content that you can slice and dice and use you know for weeks basically you know and it gets drip fed out and you've always got something fresh uh something to attract engage and delight if you follow the the HubSpot flywheel kind of methodology of marketing you know those are the right. things you always want to you always want to kind of hit
0: well and what's what's interesting is that uh when we come back to this uh you know i'm struck by this idea of strategy again strategy uh, requires a little bit of forethought mm-hmm. you have to think about it before you you do it and the beauty of what you're talking about is that you, you know, like you said, you record the audio podcast, you, you videotape it, you know, you had a little bit of forethought, and then you can, you've got lots of content to work with on the backside. You know, the restaurant that I was working with where we did this journal, right, where we dolled up the, um, uh, the blog and went from blog content to kind of a high-end, you know, digital magazine, mm-hmm. we just said, well, we're going to do a photo shoot for the upcoming menu, so let's just start let's just shoot some videos as well while we're plating everything and we'll just plate you know the, the food as it's being cooked and, and and you know served and it costs us nothing you know I, I'm gonna be on this side taking photos I can jump to that side and take a video you know just a little bit of forethought of you know during this hour when we're doing this photo shoot you know how can we best use this to our advantage and likewise you know I would just turn on a recorder and just ask the chef to talk about, you know, why he decided to do this dish or, you know, what was the inspiration or why this and that, and just let him talk. And that provided me with all the the information I needed. It wasn't like I had to go hunting. It's just, he's going to tell a story about how I, you know, when I was 25, I went to Sicily and I remember the blah, blah, blah. And that gave me the idea for this sauce. And so I took this and did that. And so this is a riff on that and I'm paying homage in this way. And boom, and then you've got an interesting story to tell. So then you've got a bunch of photos, a video, and a story that goes along with it that's pretty compelling. And we can dole those out in a, in a variety of different ways over the course of the two or three weeks that we're going to run that promotion.
1: And you know that's basically the same principle. But what, what you're doing there is you're being efficient with everyone's time, which is, I would imagine, the thing that is the, the, that
0: has the kind of there just isn't any time within the restaurant, that's, space, basically. That's it. Um, and, you know, you you can be efficient by just planning a little bit ahead of time, by taking 15 minutes to sit down and map it out. And then you present the piece of paper and say, hey, what about this? You know, is this going to you know, be the best use of everyone's time and give us the biggest bang for the buck? And you know, just a little bit of forethought goes a long way. Again, this is you know something that I'm, I'm always talking about. And I'm, I'm uh, thrilled to hear you kind of, you know, come back to it as well. It's just um, it, it's a good thing to remember
1: um i would imagine one of the things that is the big differences between my industry and yours is yours is very visual right you know it's all based on um you know what what the restaurant looks like what the people in the restaurant look like what the food looks like what the kitchens look like what you know it's a very and, and obviously you know when you do visit a restaurant it's a very visual kind of experience you know they you eat with your eyes um as opposed to mine which you know you have to force it upon it you know you have to force on a visual aspect into recruitment because it's a service and in, in the end it's it's a pretty kind of one kind of abc type of service there's just a it's just a sequence of things that need to be done and making that kind of visually exciting is incredibly difficult yeah um as opposed to what i would imagine in the, in the restaurant biz where it, you know it's it, it's all about the visual
0: well, you know what? I'm struck by a couple of things. I mean, we think about the visuals of a restaurant, but really, a restaurant—you don't go there to look at things; you go there to eat things, to taste things, and that uh, is the very definition of impossible—at least right now in the digital medium. Uh, and so we've uh, we've invented a shorthand, and there, there are famous um, there are famous essays and kind of articles that were written about uh, the Food Network when it launched in the '90s, and and how they um, how they tried to communicate uh taste and flavor and 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 scent and and all of that through the screen which uh which is fascinating that's a separate conversation all on its own but you know over the course of the 20 30 years um people have had to invent i mean this goes back to you know marketing is about solving problems right mm-hmm. if it was if it wasn't a problem people would have a solution you know that's what that's what marketers do we just Try and come up with a new way of of accomplishing something, and that's what they did. Then they just thought, okay, well, if we're going to make this work, we've got to we've got to figure out um, how to how to communicate this through the screen. Um, that actually, um, especially in restaurants, and I do a fair amount of work in fine dining, um, that exclusivity is kind of key to what to what they're offering, to what they're peddling. Right, that that the experience is something you got to pay for, you got to know somebody, you got to book in advance. And, and that has largely been, um, been the experiment of the last 10 or 15 years. And I think, especially here in New York, probably why so many of these kind of, you know, hollowed restaurants have kind of fallen or crumbled that, that, that people don't have the time for that, but that doesn't seem that dissimilar to what, to what you do, right? To what happens, you know, fine dining all happens behind the curtain. And it is about the experience. It is about access and exclusivity. And very much what uh, what you're doing all happens behind the curtain, partially because people don't want other people to know that they're looking for a job. Uh, either they're embarrassed that they're out of work, or uh, they don't want people to know that they're switching jobs. And so there is a a lot of discretion, and, and you know the curtain exists there for a specific reason, right?
1: Yeah, no, uh, completely agree. Um, I suppose the, the kind of flip side to that, where, where it kind of the the comparison ends, is. Again, you know, there's, because recruitment has the B two B side as well. That's the kind of bit that I'm guessing that isn't really in the restaurant bit. You know, it's all kind of customer focus. It's all B two C. It's all about getting bums on seats, right? That's the kind of that's right. the main goal in recruitment. You want your, you know, the the B two C part is our candidates and applicants for the jobs. But then on the other side you also want clients to be coming to you to give you the jobs for those applicants. Right. Right. So that's a completely kind of different, so there's a different tack you've got to, you've got to take. And that's why um, I think that's what makes, I think, recruitment unique to a certain extent, Uh, tricky, engaging, frustrating, and a few other adjectives. I probably won't kind of mention (laughs) Um, because you've just got these both sides to it. Uh, And you can come at it, you can be a business that kind of just deals with with with, with from a B2B perspective and, right, we're a marketeer that's just going to cut, we're just going to find you new clients, or we're just going to find you uh, the best candidates on the market, um, or you can try and attempt to do both. And as a business, we we do both. We, we do client attraction and, and candidate attraction.
0: So as we, you know, we're here in New York City and we're still very much on lockdown. Um, you know, just yesterday yesterday. Uh, gyms were able to open, but no indoor uh, fitness classes. So, you know, cycling and boxing and yoga and all of that, all of that's still on hold. Restaurants are able to serve outside, but still no indoor dining yet. I mean, it's like places are freaking out. And uh, and I hope by the time that this episode uh, airs, this is not the case anymore, but it still very much is the case. Um, I want to lean on your expertise a little bit. And I want to talk about personnel and hiring and um human resource management and all of that because you know all the restaurants either shut down or laid off tons of people and just maintained kind of the bare minimum uh you know switch to a delivery model or a takeout model since they could no longer offer uh in-restaurant dining um but as things are going to be allowed to reopen uh, they're going to start looking to staffing back up again and uh, something that I've been talking about a lot is that you know for restaurant owners to take this time to really get clear on what their business is, who they're trying to serve, and then who best they should hire to help serve those people. Um, it's very much what you were talking about, right? That, that we create an experience that that is what people buy. People aren't buying the food, they're buying the experience. And so you need to think carefully about who is going to be executing that vision executing providing that experience providing that service and so you know the easy thing would just to to be to call everybody that you that used to work for you and bring them all back um which i guess would be the nice thing to do but um but i think there's a way of being more deliberate and so so how do places attract the right people or like what are the steps that need to be taken sure
1: so we're kind of in a territory that's called employer branding at this point, right? So this is the the methodology of as, as a, as a business, how do you make yourself look like a place that people want to work at?
0: Yes. How do we do that?
1: You've got to kind of, so in, see if we take your example, the problem you, you, some of your businesses or kind of some of these restaurants might have is the people that you've laid off may have had a really bad experience during that time. So, calling them up and trying to get them back may not work because your the way you've off boarded them, uh, may have gone really badly. You may not have kind of handled that, that kind of whole situation very well. It might've just, you know, God forbid you've done it over WhatsApp or over text or something like that. You know what I mean? Which is just really just impersonal. Right. So, so you might already be on the back foot with something like this, but if you're a business that is, is kind of going to take this really seriously then what you want to do with regards to your employer branding is you want to just fling the doors open and be as transparent as possible about what it is like to work at your business. Um, And so this is right. This is the kind of, this is who we are, you know, and that is having could be all the way down to just having, uh, you know, your, your, your team page on your website, for instance, is a great place possibly to start. Like these are the people who work here. These are the good things you want to know about them. Here's the kind of things that make them interesting that could even be videos. And I would assume that that should be really kind of videos of these people, you know, pieces to camera, little kind of talking heads about why, where they are working is a great place to work. The other thing that people kind of usually want to kind of take into into, um, into consideration is career progression as well. So that's one of the reasons why people either change jobs, or join a company is, well, where's the value in the long term for me as well? Is there a chance for me to kind of move up the chain? So you know, I, again, I don't know all the kind of types of roles within the kind of restaurant business, but I would imagine there are a lot, especially, I suppose, when you get to very uh, high-end restaurants, they have all kinds of staff at different levels. So this is like, right, let's take a career path for one of our top maitre d'eats, for instance, you know, where he came at this point, she came at this point, and this is their career path, right? And you get that, and that's very transparent. You show that, you know, it's either this person talking through their career at this, this restaurant, or... It's kind of somehow fit, kind of visually represented. Um, and what you kind of need to do, you need this hub to do all this in. So a good, good place to be would be to have a career site on your website, basically. So instead of your just boring jobs with us page that maybe a lot of places have, where it just lists out, we're looking for, you know, uh, a waitress, a waiter. We're looking for a sous chef. Duh, 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 duh. You know, again, take the route that some of my businesses on, done, turn it into a video you know explain what this role is what this person does why it's good to be part of your team you know uh explain the benefits what it's like you know do they get health care and all these kinds of things and it, and but don't just list out as bulleted points put a face to a name basically you know if you're going to be if you're the person who's hiring this if you're the the boss in that business or the hr manager if they, if they have if they're big enough or if you're the the head chef it should be your job. If you're a really for this. then you want to kind of do a piece to camera to say, look, we're looking for someone who's bright and engaged, who, is, who has this kind of experience, who's coming from this kind of background. We think you'd be great at fitting in with, in, with this. But I tell you what, if you don't fit that, let us, let us talk to you anyway, because there might be something in the future. And what you can do by taking that stance is you then start building up what's called a talent pool. So people who want to work with you, but maybe aren't free to work for you at the moment. You know, and then you build up this kind of tool, this this pool of chefs, for instance, that you can maybe then at some point ping out an email to and just say, look, hi guys, you have we I know we haven't kind of spoke directly for a, a couple of months, but we've now got this great role here. If any of you are still kind of free, or anybody still want to work for us, we would love to hear from you. And again, if not, let's 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 know that we can still keep in contact. With you, why don't you all also check out our latest blog? Right, that kind of kind of engaging, very transparent very open, I think, is the way, the way I would be going about it. And I'm sure it's exactly the kind of thing that you would probably be helping them with as well.
0: So two, two things, that, two follow-up questions to that. I mean, number one, you're talking about, um, again, you're playing the long game. You're thinking ahead that I think a lot of restaurant owners um, get stuck. And when I spent years uh, managing restaurants, I certainly was guilty of this as well. You just need to fill this position this week because you need them on the schedule for next week. Uh, that you end up just, um, just with blinders on looking very, very uh, narrowly at, at what your current needs are. Um, and I think there's an opportunity and you're saying there's a there's a benefit. And I think coming out of this, there's going to be a need to really uh, have some foresight here and and be building your uh, be building your portfolio, uh, building your you know, backlog of people who might be yeah. a fit in the future, right? Yeah. So here's the other piece to this. And um, because it's easy to think about all the people who would want to work at, uh, at a business because that's their passion, right? Because they're driven, they're ambitious, they, they, um, they, they want to be part of this culture. Uh, but the restaurants, uh, again, especially here in the United States, uh, notoriously, um, you get uh, you get one of two people. On the one side, you get these people who went to school for this, are, again, uh, driven, passionate, uh, ambitious, want to be in this field. And then the other side... Uh, is you get, I mean, here in New York city, this is the way the joke goes. It's all, uh, it's all actors, right? All aspiring actors and musicians and, and artists, um, that so many of the people who wait tables, for example, uh, are just biding their time. This is their day job while they pursue something else. And in other parts of the country, it, it may not be, um, it may not be actors, but they might be students because it's a, it's an easy job to get while you're in school during the day. And then you, uh, you wait tables at night. So, what I mean that poses certain you know hiring challenges, but but how should how should people look at that? What are some ways that they can deal with that? I don't know how much experience you have.
1: So um, you don't change up your experience too much, to be honest. I, I know the, if you're in a position where you're putting out fires, you know I you, you need someone to cover something for for, for tomorrow. You're probably. You're doing something wrong at that point and you just need to kind of realize that something has gone wrong. Now, not saying necessarily always your fault, but uh I would still come back to that long game and still like you need to have this kind of talent pool of people. Um and also just because someone sees it as a short-term temporary role that doesn't require maybe a lot of training to do, doesn't mean you again you have to treat them any differently. You know, because they're the kind of people that will, if they're a student, for instance, they're going to tell their friends one to go eat there because they're there. And if they're having a if they're having a crap experience, then they're not going to do that. Um, and then also that's your then if that is if, if the students are your talent pool, then it's within your interest then to engage with that talent pool and in the, the students more proactively uh, and engage with them in the way that they want to be engaged with. And I'm not saying that's kind of hold, hold, holding kind of toga parties, etc., but that might be uh, whatever that, whatever that might be, I, you know, off the top of my head, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think right. it's about engaging with that audience. So they're primed for you to kind of ask that of them, you know, uh, yeah. and again, this is, I, I agree. It's all, it's all very kind of long-term. Um, if, if you just need someone, you know, if you need someone tomorrow, Uh, and you're out of ideas, well, you know, that's when you come to one of my recruitment agencies. (laughs) Right, right, right. But that's kind of what they're there for. But if you want kind of like a strong employer brand, then you need to think about what that employer brand says about you and the kind of people you're trying to bring into the business. If long term, you don't want students to be your kind of serving staff, then you need to change that up. And you need to talk to someone like you to help them come up with promotions, come up with methodologies to come up with, uh, you know, a talent attraction kind of program and engagement programs. So that isn't who they are attracting to the business, that they're attracting people who stay
0: a bit longer. I think that's a really important point. And you, you said something just a minute ago that I, that I didn't want to let go because uh, it, it was really, really good and valuable. Um, you had said, you know, if you're desperate, if you're looking for someone to fill the shift tomorrow or next week, and, and you're constantly doing that, then, then something's broken, that, that, that there's a failure there. And I want to be really clear here, because that happens in just about every restaurant, uh, certainly in this country, uh, every restaurant that I've worked in. And so I think uh, I think it's less a referendum on uh, the skills of the business owner. And I think there should be a referendum on the industry. I think the industry is broken, uh, and I think it has been for a long time, as evidenced by the, you know, by the success rate or probably more appropriately the failure rate. Um, that I think this COVID-19 crisis is giving all of us an opportunity to right the ship that I think things are broken. And I don't think we have to go back to the way things were, And I keep hearing talking about, you know, people talking about, I just wish it'd go back to normal. I'm like, you were making 2% profit last year. Why would you want to go back to that? Let's overhaul this. So you make 12% profit, like like 10% is the promised land. Most restaurants will never, never see that, um, but why shouldn't we shoot for it? Why not? Why shouldn't restaurants be making that sort of that sort of profit? And I think we just have to rethink things. And the same thing is too. I think with the personnel.
1: I think it's amazing that I mean you made me aware of that a lot the first time we actually spoke that the, the profit margins within restaurants were so low, and um, it amazes me that any restaurant can stay open for more than a year that with those with those kinds of profit margins. But um, yeah, I think I mean what we found during during kind of COVID is and this is from a recruitment perspective, the businesses that had any issues, this has just highlighted the cracks basically. So this has just kind of exposed them for the the bad practices or just literally just mismanagement for whatever else. But the clever businesses have taken this time to sit back and go, we're not going to panic. We are going to adapt. We're going to shift and we're going to just look at new ways of working. So, as a business, we've actually been pretty busy within COVID because we've picked up businesses that have decided right we need to relook at what we're doing around our marketing, um, and we need to get this get this on point. Um, and now businesses, you the if you're doing that now, you've kind of missed the boat a little, but that doesn't mean you can't at least start down that that road. Uh, and I would encourage them if you if it has been sitting in the back of your mind, you're probably not going to be as busy as you normally would be for another year or so, okay, because this isn't going anywhere just just now. So if you can survive, if you can get through this, now is a great time to look at what you can do different moving forward. So is this a time for you to get your employer branding on point and start building your talent pipeline for the next phase, for when things come back for let's say for the end of next year, for the holiday season of next year, when this is gonna hopefully all be done and we've got our we've got our we've got our vaccination. You know, get people in place, start talking to them now, start engaging with them now and getting you top of mind for when you need them in a, in a year's time. So this is perfect timing, really, to do it. Um, and this is why I would imagine that I would hope that you have been really busy because I hope there's some intelligent businesses and smart businesses that have been thinking, right, we need to get on top of this and we just need to start doing more marketing because when everything does open up, we want to make sure that everybody comes to us as opposed to Joe's Pizzeria down there, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, I've been, you know, this this COVID shutdown has been, it's going on six months here, and the first two months were the quietest I've ever been, and I and I just sat back and read a lot of books and watched them Netflix, and the last four months have been the busiest in the last five years, hands down, 100%. And
1: it doesn't surprise me, um, and I, it's, it'll be, I bet you it's some of the more, it's some of the, the best work that you've done, because it's with some of the really good clients that have sided.
0: That, you know. that's exactly right I said I've, uh, I've you know i brought on a couple of new clients and you know the when the the crisis hit you know a couple of clients fell away which was um, you know, unavoidable uh, but the ones that stuck with me are the ones that uh, have turned out to be really really great and the new ones who have come on just in the last two to three months uh, are projects that I'm that I'm really really excited about they're very satisfying so you talked about uh, you know employer branding that like take this opportunity Um, to get everything in line, you said transparency is key, you know, finding new ways, finding different ways to communicate that to, um, to potential employees. And what strikes me is that, um, that they're kind of the same thing, right, that you trying to uh, a restaurant trying to differentiate themselves uh, within the market and saying, this is why you should eat here instead of eat there, like you just said, right, this is why you should have pizza here and not one of these other pizza places. Um, are also tied closely to how you speak to potential employees, right? Like, this is why you should work here instead of any of those six or seven other pizza places.
1: Yeah. Um, And it it kind of, it's the way that recruitment has evolved over the last kind of maybe 10 years. Um, So recruitment businesses now don't just offer, we'll find you someone to fill your role, is it, they've gone more down the, this employer kind of um, employer branding route, and said, "Well, we'll we'll make you look great to the people that we're trying to attract for you as well." So that's the good recruitment agencies kind of do that. Um, but there's a bit of a dichotomy there. So you don't. So some recruitment agencies would think, "Well, we don't want to tell our clients how to how to attract people to their business because that's what they need us for." But actually, it's a false economy you want to do both and all at the same time because there's a place in that, in that chain for everybody to, to, to make everyone else look great. Right. Uh, and that's how I always kind of sell it. But you can see how within recruitment, if you're a recruiter, it's like, I don't want to show, tell my clients how to recruit. Why would we do that? <laughs> um, but you're not, but what you're doing is you're just making them look better and you're offering them another service. Yeah. Um, and so that's how within recruitment, it's kind of how that's kind of changed and, and adapted that, the service that recruiters are now providing has changed and interestingly uh, over even like the kind of last five years and this will continue I think for the next five years what a recruiter actually does is significantly changing from a purely sales focused type role so you could be an ex-sales person and move into recruitment quite easily but now it's much more about the soft skills because the 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 attracting and selling part is all kind of automated now there's a lot of automation as i mentioned before so for instance right there's a business that we we do a little bit of work with uh they are able to send out they have a bot basically they can call up a candidate and or hundreds of candidates at a time and and do an, on, an an online um sorry a phone call interview with a robot basically <laughs> okay uh, and it picks up on the stresses in your voice, so it can tell if you are not necessarily lying, but if you're just kind of if you're exaggerating about something right. and what your mannerisms are. And it doesn't kind of judge you; it just reports that back to the consultant. But for a consultant to make a hundred phone calls could take you know a morning, basically a really good one, maybe more. But for now you can do it at the press of a button, automated now done. So the recruitment consultant's job now is to have those soft skills and to be able to search through that data, analyze that data that's come in, get back to those people and convince them why they should be kind of coming on board with you and why you want to have them as, a, as your kind of, as a, them as a, as a candidate for this, for this job. Um, and that happens, that's happening all across the kind of recruitment sphere. So every, every part of this process is now becoming slightly kind of more automated. Um, and so the actual work, we call them recruitment consultants in the UK. Uh, and for the very first time, that are actually being consultative yeah. as opposed to being <laughs> salespeople, which is a great thing because, you know, a lot of these people are very, they're usually quite big personalities and they're very engaging. They're very charismatic. Uh, and this is kind of what they really kind of should be doing as opposed to bashing out, you know, 100 cold calls in the morning, just trying to kind of say, are you free? We've got a great job. Boom. Right. Looking through, looking on a job board, looking on whichever job boards they've kind of found your your resume on, and then kind of giving you a call and cold calling out at the, the blue. Now all of this is now, although it's kind of like that kind of dog work has been is, is becoming automated. So the actual consultant, so uh, that doesn't really kind of answer your question, but it does kind of give you a bit of an insight into and actually into where the recruitment industry are going, and it does pose the question: is is there is there something transposable from that into kind of how the restaurant business does it? you know, operates, you know, where does, where does AI and automation play in, 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 the in, in the restaurant biz? Because it's very, it's, it's all hot topics within recruitment, but are there services and processes that can be automated within, within the kind of restaurant biz that could be like, booking a booking online with a chat bot or something? I don't know, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, that's, uh, that's something that's happened, um, you know, through this uh, crisis is that, you know, we haven't really seen new technology. It's just been the adoption curve of the, te- of the existing technology, um, has been so steep, you know, that, uh, you know, I, again, I live here in New York city and we get our groceries delivered. There are a couple of services that we use, uh, because they're so convenient and I can do my food shopping in 10 minutes, you know, at the end of the day. I just drop things into my cart. I pick a two hour window that I'm already going to be home. I hit click and it shows up when they say they're going to show up. I've done that for 18 years and uh, I just, I just don't want to waste the time, the hour or two to go to the supermarket, especially when we live in New York city, we don't have a car. So anything we get, we got to lug back. So whether that's two blocks or 10 blocks or 20 blocks, you know, we're kind of penned in by, um, by the realities of, of location. And so, here i can get a you know really big supermarket order and it's delivered right to my front door like that was a no brainer for me 18 years ago and still that adoption curve has been very slow and then suddenly you know you tell anybody over the age of 50 they shouldn't go out in crowds well they're the first ones that go in and log on and figure out how to get their groceries delivered that i mean just about overnight this became a real big deal here in the country and the same thing is true with, you know, Seamless and Grubhub and all these apps where you get to order food and mm. you know, kiosks and, and you know how many people signed up for Apple Pay so that they can do contactless so that they don't have to hand their cards back and forth to people. All these things existed, but the adoption curve was so steep and and yeah, it is gonna affect, you know, personnel. It is gonna affect um, just who you hire back because we don't need people to do certain jobs because we're not getting as many Uh, as many orders in over the phone, they're just coming in through the app. And we're not, you know, now restaurants, especially here in New York City, you can, you know, they got a little QR code, you scan the menu, and you can even place them uh, your order right from your phone. And I'm talking about nice restaurants. Uh, Chef Michael White has a has his two star restaurant uh, right in the the heart of Midtown called Morea. Uh, It's a high end seafood restaurant, and they're doing outdoor dining right now. And if you don't want a waiter, you don't have to have a waiter. You can place your entire order on your phone, and it'll just come out to you when it's ready. Like th- that's a very real thing. But uh, the question you asked was, you know, what uh, what can't be automated? What are the what are the soft skills in the mm-hmm. restaurant industry? And I think it goes back to the, you know, just as always, it's like, like computers can't solve problems. Uh, you know, computers can, you know, can sense can sense the shift in tone, but they don't know what to do with that. And I think it's going to become ever more important to, you know, to have compassion and empathy in those, those customer service skills, which is, again, we're in the service industry and it's about taking care of people that there's going to be a premium on that. I think coming out of this.
1: I completely agree. And I think that again, those are the businesses, that experience we talked about this several times now is the kind of experience you get. And that can be in person or online. Uh, and so if you are, if the experience you want to replicate the experience you get in, in the restaurant itself, with however that, whatever that experience might be, whatever you're going for, that needs to be, that can be replicated online.
0: That's the biggest takeaway that I've got from this conversation. And I, and I hope the listeners uh, key into that. It's that, uh, how do you take, you know, how do you articulate, how do you identify what the experience is of dining in your restaurant? What's that all about? And it doesn't have to be, you know, three stars, you know, fancy silver and all that. If it's a, a corner pizza place, what's that experience? but then how do you translate that how do you communicate that in in a variety of other ways how do you how do you properly communicate that on a website or on your social media channels uh, or via you know uh, other uh, you know other uh, other areas how do you communicate that to potential uh, employees to uh, potential customers and um, and that that's the problem that that needs to be solved and i think it should be top of mind
1: yeah i completely agree i think you know that's your brand value right there you know uh, that's that's the, that's your usp and that is the thing that can make you different from everyone else is um is that kind of omnipresent experience that it's always good wherever you go and it's or they're not maybe good's the wrong word it's the same you know whatever you're going for you 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 feel that you get the same feeling from if you're booking online or if you're online if you're looking at the website or if you're on the youtube channel or on instagram it kind of represents still, it still represents that business, you know, and it's still obvious it's that business as opposed to someone else down the road who's, you know, they may have a slightly more kind of scatological approach to what they're doing with their, with their marketing. You know, if you can bring it all into, into, you know, homogenize the whole thing uh, and then distribute that online and you still get this kind of great experience wherever you are, I think that's the, that, that will make the difference between you and your competitors.
0: I, I think the hardest thing for a lot of people, um, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners will, um, this will resonate with them, but uh, it, it's being able to identify exactly what it is you do. Because um, it's one thing to be able to do what you do well. Um, you know, athletes are notorious for this, right? They're, they're just great athletes, but they can't often, that doesn't translate to being a good manager or a good coach. It, it's difficult yeah. to sometimes articulate what it is that uh, that they did as a player um, that was so valuable. How do you communicate that to other players so that they can also uh, get better? And I think um, I think for business owners, it's really important to be able to to take a step back and and identify what it is you do well, what it is you do that sets you apart uh, from your competitors, and, and be able to articulate that.
1: Well, th- that's where you come in, though, right? Yeah, um, because businesses. Is- can't do everything, you know. They and they don't necessarily need to be able to do everything, you know. That's why they don't do their own accounting, you know. That's because that's why there are businesses like ours exist is because we have expertise in those areas, and that's why they should use the the best they can, you know, at, in these areas that they just don't have the experience in um, or the time to to, to do.
0: And that's right. the key for what I, you know, what I've done with my business. Uh, again, I've been running this for five years, and I can only work with so many people at a time. I mean, usually it's like five or six clients at a time. I think I, I maxed out at about fourteen for about a six month stretch, and I just thought I'm never doing that again. There's a limit to what I can do to how many people I can work with, uh, and that's largely why I uh, launched this podcast. And people thought I was crazy. They said, "You're going to give away everything you do, your your whole structure, the everything you bring to a business." And I said, "That that's okay." I can only work with so many people, uh, you know, because I'm just one guy in one city, you know, uh, spread these ideas out. And, um, and that's largely what this podcast has all been about is, you know, translating everything I do, which has been good, which has forced me to do the same thing that I'm suggesting businesses do. It it forced me to, to really think about, you know, what are the processes that I put into place? What are the things that I just intuitively um, gravitate to or, or think about? And, you know, I can put them Uh, I created systems and, you know, uh, ways of of translating that for people, for listeners uh, of the podcast. And so that's been very beneficial to me. So I can say uh, I can say that, you know, with restaurant owners, you know, as they um, as they start doing this themselves, you're going to see the benefit of it.
1: But there's a difference between telling and doing right. Yeah, I'm exactly the same as you. I will I will tell people left, right and center exactly what we do. There's no dark art to what we do. You know, I can yeah. tell you all day. I can tell you to this is what if I was in your position, I would do this, this, and this. But the most of the time, they're going to go, "I don't know how to do that. I can't do that. I haven't got the time. I haven't got the resources." And that's when they usually make that decision. Like, right? okay, then we need to work with a business like yours because sure. this is what you do. Um, but I'm I'm exactly the same. Uh, one of the reasons why we set up the podcast and why we do webinars and why we write blogs and why we is you know. I'm happy to be again it comes back to that transparency thing this is what we do this is how we do it. here's a, here's a brain dump of the things that we would do with your business go ahead and try if you want go for yeah. it I can almost guarantee you that you're going to come back to us within a couple of months because you'll have made a mess of it because you will won't be able to do it as well as we did because that's what we do and your 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 skills lay somewhere else basically
0: right right and that's uh, that's uh, you know largely the case with uh, with restaurants people know how to cook people know how to you know, build operations, but they don't, um, they don't often think of uh, their experience as a product. They don't often think about their restaurant as, uh, as an experience. And that, that's, been, um, that's been something that I've really tried to chirp on, uh, certainly with my clients uh, in, in real life, and then uh, over the podcast here to the listeners, uh, getting them to understand um, that it is about different, not better. You don't want to be better than the competition. You want to be different than the competition.
1: Yeah, I mean, you can go down a rabbit hole if you want to. Help. If you want to be the better and, and better and bigger and all that kind of stuff, then yeah, you're gonna you're probably onto a, a loser straight away at that point. If that's what if that's if that's your aim,
0: it's like Seth Godin always says. You know, you can only slide up and down on one axis, and that doesn't give you a, a lot of room, a lot of wiggle room. You're just on one line. You're either yeah. better or worse. You're either bigger or smaller. And um, you know, don't you want to give yourself more uh, more room to to navigate? exactly James exactly. I've loved this conversation I, I, I've already taken up a whole bunch of your time uh, and I don't want to and I don't want to take too much else um, any parting thoughts where can people learn uh, more about you uh, think in circles the podcast uh, tell people where they need to go and of course we'll include links in the show notes
1: so you uh, you know I'm pretty much all over social media so you can either look for think in circles which is think in in circles uh or you can go to the website which is thinkingcircles.com uh if you were to google the marketing rules podcast uh you'll get kind of links to all of the uh, the platforms it's on uh um, the best place probably to find me is linkedin as i've mentioned a couple of times so uh look for thinking circles look for james whitelock uh, and we'll probably you'll probably find me there uh, probably you know complaining about something at some point <laughs> but um uh, uh but yeah, that's the kind of best place. And as you said, the stuff, the actual kind of links will be in the show notes. Um, so if anybody wants to get in contact, wants to kind of chat about anything else, I'm more than happy to have that, uh, have that chat. They can, I can dump my brain in their lap, and they can take what they want.
0: Excellent. And like I said at the very beginning of this episode, uh, this is going to be uh, part one of a two part conversation. We're going to continue this dialogue, uh, which is why I don't want to get rid of all the all the stuff. Uh, we're going to finish this uh, conversation uh, on James' podcast. Uh, in just a in just a little bit, and uh, obviously, I'll make sure the listeners of this podcast uh, know when that one's uh, going to air. James, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Chip. It has been an absolute pleasure.
0: Take care. So there you have it. I hope you got a lot out of that interview. I hope the uh, the audio quality didn't um, didn't bother you too much, and you were able to make it all the way to the end. As I said, James is a really smart guy. I'm really glad that we were able to sit down uh, for the conversation. I will let you know when the second piece of this conversation happens over on the Marketing Rules Podcast. As I said, all of the links uh, you're going to find right in the show notes. Uh, Again, email strategy, the live online workshop. uh, Spots are on sale now. Go visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com. Click the blue button and secure your spot. Thanks again. Stay creative and I will see you next time.